is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the animation studio that 35 years ago landed like an asteroid amongst dinosaurs, Pixar. From its humble beginnings as the computer division for Lucasfilm, Pixar Animation Studios has rewritten what is considered possible for cinematic storytelling, commercial filmmaking, and computer animation. The company spun off from Lucasfilm in 1986, largely bankrolled by Steve Jobs, and while it initially made its bread by selling computer animation hardware and software, its real passion lay in developing computer animation that could compete with traditional animation. Led by a small group of creatives called the Brain Trust, which included John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Joe Ranft, Bob Peterson, Pete Docter, and Lee Unkrich, most of its cinematic output early on was limited to just little short whimsical films that really just sort of demonstrated what their products could do. All of that changed in 1995, however, when Pixar released Toy Story, the first fully computer animated feature film. Based in a universe where toys were alive and acted in secret when humans weren't around, the movie was an enormous hit that secured Pixar's future and began a bold new chapter in animated storytelling. In the years that followed, the Brain Trust created a cinematic hit machine without rival. At an average box office of $680 million per movie, Pixar is the most commercially successful movie studio per title in history. Pixar's 23 Oscars, 10 Golden Globes, and 11 Grammys make it one of the most award-winning. And its 89% average approval rating from Rotten Tomatoes, which jumps up to 93% if you discount the Cars franchise, makes it a true audience favorite. Pixar's feature film hit list is a thing of legend, including franchises such as Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, and Cars. It also includes standalones such as A Bug's Life, Ratatouille, WALL-E, Up, Brave, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Coco, Onward, Soul, and Luca. And it's got a treasure trove of short films as well. With its relentless drive for both storytelling excellence and technical innovation, Pixar has become a gold standard for animated entertainment. Its partnership and eventual merger with Disney supercharged the House of Mouse's own animation studio, helping to drive what can only be called a new golden age of cinematic animation. Pixar refuses to compromise its standards, and the results are stories that are fun, funny, smart, accessible, and fresh. Their storytelling style trades heavily on the humanity of their characters, a deep faith in their audience, a respect for the power of emotion, and a willingness to address significant subject matter such as death, abandonment, and marginalization. The result is that they always get us right in the feels. I can't wait to talk about our favorite Pixar moments, so let's get into it. With me today is the bravest little sandpiper on the beach, Chris Crenshaw. Howdy, folks. Three-time Scarer of the Month winner, Tom Hespos. Hey, how are you folks? And case manager for the Superhero Relocation Program, Joe Pace. You're not affiliated with me. <laughs> Everyone, welcome. So as I was saying before we got rolling tonight, there's really no chronological order to, to who goes first here because we're all talking about just a broad you know, set of films and all that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll my handy-dandy trusty uh, D4 die here and determine who goes first. So down the dice tower it goes. All right. First person to go is Tom Hespos. You're up, man. <laughs> so what Pixar property did you pick? Why do you love it so much? And what's your moment of truth from it? I picked Monsters, Inc. And my moment of truth 
has nothing to do with the story or getting hit in the feels. Although, you know, that, that, that scene where, uh, you know, Boo has to say goodbye to Sully. I, I, I watched it again today. And yes, I cried again today. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> I think there's a statute of limitations on that one. I think um, but, you know, I, I, I just if you start to think a little bit about how, you know, Monsters, Inc., like when it came out and like what was going on in the world and like what were the films that from Pixar that had come mm-hmm. out before that. Monsters, Inc. came out like a couple of weeks after 9-11 and did it really yeah and oh, i missed that okay i remember um at the time being kind of skeptical of, of, of pixar um I, you know like i really hadn't seen it like i, I love toy story and sure. i had seen it by that point i think i might have even seen a bug's life at that point that was my sister's favorite uh movie to get stoned to in college but uh <laughs> <recommendation> <laughs> was roach's life is that what it was called <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, here, here we are, you know, it's, it's a, just a, like maybe six weeks, I want to say, after 9-11. I'm, you know, in New York City still and, you know, in my little one bedroom living by myself on, you know, the Upper East Side. This movie hits and I, I was ready to just not see it. I was, as I said, I was kind of skeptical of Pixar at that point. Like, I liked the stories. I didn't see anything like hugely like, wow, like computer animation wise out of them yet you know, to my mind. And I'm on the phone with my friend, Dan, who, you know, was the best man at my wedding. He's like, did you see Monsters, Inc.? I'm like, why would I go see like that kid's movie? Like why? And he's like, no, dude, you, you have to trust me. You have to go see this. And, you know, I tried to pry as to why he wouldn't tell me. He's like, just go see it. So I'm like, all right, there's a theater over on 86th street. So yeah, I used to do this a lot. I used to go by myself, just go see a movie. Yeah. I went to go see Monsters, Inc. The thing that immediately struck me about it, when you meet Sully for the first time, the first thing I noticed was I'm like, wow, like, look at his fur. Yeah, right. And, and like how ambitious that was for the time. I'm like, yeah. ooh, this is sure. going to be either really fantastic or that's going to get them in a lot of trouble. Because if you know anything about computer animation if you know anything about like the history of Pixar, like that was the movie where they really figured out how to simulate things like fur and then cloth and, and things yeah. like that so yeah yeah but that like hit me immediately i'm like ooh, this could be this could be really cool like and this is my moment of truth you know you have this scene come up where it's it's an hour into the movie you get this whole thing where the ceo is revealed to be in on the big scam sure. of you know with the kids and everything like that and uh, they banish Mike Wazowski and then uh, Sully, like throw them through this door that like leads to the Himalayas. <laughs> and like, yeah. right when they, this was my moment of truth, right when they come through that door and they're trying to get back, like really, you know, just, oh my God, we, we got to get back. You see like the snow blowing around and it's like a realistic depiction of it. Like it's the first time I said to myself, like, wow, that's like a snowstorm. That's not like yeah. cartoon snowstorm. That is a snowstorm. Yeah. And the snow starts to blow around Sully and the little flakes start to go in his fur and the fur is like blowing in all different directions. And you're like, holy crap. They put an amazing, amazing amount of effort into this. Like it's, it's yeah. not just the technology, but it's like they took the time 
to really make sure that those details came through. And, you know, Sully takes the sled that he puts together. He goes down the mountain and he wipes out at the bottom of the mountain and you get more of it there. And you're like, Oh my God. Like I just like technologically, I was so taken aback that this was happening. What's ostensibly a kid's movie that I, I said like, all right, this, this is something special. That was the movie that made me, I think, a fan of Pixar. I absolutely loved that. And I know it's not, you know, what people typically love about Pixar, which is the, again, the right in the feels, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. It, it made me not be a cynic about Pixar anymore. And it mm. made me think that like, all right, there are people who are really trying to do art with this and, yeah. and it's, it's, it's really, it's working. <laughs> I had read that they had basically invented a whole new technology to be able to do what they wanted to do. And it was more like a, it wasn't like, oh, we invented this technology. Now, how do we make use of it for storytelling? It's like, we have a story we want to tell. We have an effect we want to deliver. Technology doesn't exist to do it. So we're just going to have to build it so we can actually make this thing real. And I think that's like, that's a very Pixar way of doing things because it's, it's a company run by creatives, which I think explains why it's been so successful, frankly, in terms of what it does. It doesn't pursue technical gimmickry for the sake of technical gimmickry. It's always in service yeah. of, of a story, right? And and, story and that comes through. And yeah, like if you would if it had been the other way around, you would have said, "Oh, these guys are just showing off now." And you yeah, know, right. And you know, yeah. just another you know piece of dancing baloney. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Back> then, but <laughs> yeah, it, it never came across that way. It was like it was all in service of the story. You had to wait like a solid hour before yeah. you even got that scene, or like, wow. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about Monsters, Inc., I think, was that, you know, you really got to this point of the vocal talent um, that was involved. And we'd, yeah. seen it. we'd seen it before, right? I mean, like in Toy Story, you get Tom Hanks and, and Billy Crystal as, as Mike Wazowski. It's, it's the, the marriage of the vocal talent with the character is so perfect. And John <laughs> really, Goodman, really of is. course, but like. But, John but Goodman as well, yeah. yeah. It, it may or may not be the best use of Billy Crystal. Like, honestly, and I mean that. Like, yeah. And I've loved, I loved him and other stuff, you know, the City Slickers and, and, and Princess Bride and other stuff. But like. But he's so good as Mike Wazowski that yeah. by the time you're halfway through the movie, you forget that it's Billy Crystal. Yeah, yeah. that's how good the marriage of yeah, vocal talent and story. Billy Crystal, yeah. though, like at the very end yeah. of the movie, when he's well, got to deliver, you know, like the... he's doing stand up. Yeah, of course. But like, <laughs> but 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 yeah. so yeah, like they got his facial mannerisms down like that. Like <laughs> they really do. Like Billy Crystal. Yeah. That's like the Billy Crystal you, you get when you bump into him at a Yankee game, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. He, he's just weapons free, yeah. But, you know, let's not sleep on Steve Buscemi as Randall, by the way. He so was... Good. Oh, no. Oh, so he was, good. It was so good. Not just a great acting job, just a great casting job as well. Like He was the perfect, just like... And a great animation job. Just a great animation job. Oh, it was so, so fantastic. I read somewhere that for the little girl, for Boo, they didn't give her lines. They just followed her around and taped her. And then, like, <laughs> yes, okay. They 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 folded all of what they captured back into the movie, yeah. so that they would be authentic. <laughs> yeah, you, you know that, that's awesome because it's like like kids are so hard to fold into a story, you know. And, and what are you gonna do with a three year old, four year old, whatever you? Four year olds can't act, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ever see a movie where like a, like the story calls for you know the infant is terrified? You're like somebody terrified that infant. Somebody scared. Show. I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> good watching this. <laughs> Like, Somebody pinched that kid on the butt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right That's my dream job. Like, children were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I held out off on crying. Is like there's a very like one little gesture that makes the waterworks go off with me. Oh, hit me! You know, what is it? What is it? A little hug, you know, between Boo and and, and Sully, 
and then you see like her hand go up to just get like a little bit more out of the hug boom instantly yeah like, oh, it's a very God. it's a very real oh, it's it a very, such very a real thing gesture and you're like yeah wow, wow. Yeah. i want to go back to the point where chris wants to be credited in the end scrolling credits as baby pincher that that's something that i think <laughs> is going to stay with me <laughs> You're in movies? Yeah. What's your job? I pinch the, the babies. <laughs> Baby I make them look scared. I come make in. I've got, I've got Hollywood sanctioned child abuse on my resume. I'm not proud of it, but you know, it's there. the head scare. Let's, let's be clear. It's union work. <laughs> Dude, you know what the per diem of this gig is? It's crazy. All right. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway. That climax with all the doors, you know, where this yeah. climax, like I remember, it's really great. It really is, yeah, and I just watch it, and I just kind of even now, like with with technology so far beyond where it was back then, and I think you know for the most part, these movies age awfully well, given how yeah. they are bound by the technology. Of, they of the they time. never need to be better than they are. It's a whole no, they, lot better than the droids of Geonosis. Let's just put it that way. That's that is true. I just watch it, my mind kind of boggles. Like there's so much going on there. I'm just kind of amazed that they pulled it off and it looks so good. And like there's never like you can study that scene. There's not a single little moment where like one little bit of it looks out of place. It just it's all so perfectly arranged. On a technical merit, that scene just really knocks me knocks me out. The waterwork scene is is really it, it, it's it's just right near the end when they they reassemble Boo's door and he gets to go through one last time and he just comes in and you just see his you see his yeah yeah they put the little splinter in and and boom you like oh, he's gonna he gets to go back and he just opens up and you see his face you know and that's the face of like an uncle seeing a niece or nephew for the first time or it's the face of a grandparent seeing a grandchild for the first time like that's the face of love you know and he he really loves boo and he's happy to see her again and you know she's got that same face with her and and, and it's just, it's so genuine even though you only and like they've laid it out so well in the movie you only need to see half of it to know the full story of that that moment, that moment. and i just oh god i adore it. it makes my eyes water it's like cutting Here onions instantly and you're like oh oh there it is exactly <laughs> the reason it works so well of course is that he's a monster yeah Sure. Right. You know, like, yeah. like and, and and that's what always kind of got me about this movie. Like, what exactly are they subverting here? You know, like, <laughs> it, it, it's such a strange concept. You know, the monsters think they're the good guys. And, you know, I, I guess I kind of get that. Yeah. A fantastic concept movie. Yeah. And Pixar is also good at that, aren't they? they? They really are. As far as conceptual work goes, when this movie came out, when I saw it, I was writing role-playing games full-time for a living. My job is to be creative 24-7. And it's it's a lot of fun until suddenly, it, at one point, like your natural store of ideas that you're going to coast the on. The wall goes it, dry. It, yeah. The wall goes dry, and you, and you got to figure out, how am I going to how am I gonna find things? And like I remember watching Monsters, Inc., and I loved it. But at that point, I was creating like a Monsters book. I was just so blown away by just how diverse the monsters were in this universe. And I'm watching like water news walk around with it. those crazy crab legs and sort of walking around and just that the designs were so cool. They were so goofy, but they were all so apart from each other and they were so not clearly just like, oh, we'll take Animal X and put Animal Y's head on it. I mean, they're all really original and cool and funky. And I just kind of despaired a little bit. Like, man, I... I cannot summon the creative energy I'm seeing here. Now, granted, it was a whole team of people doing it. It wasn't just one person, but still, it was really impressive to see. And I remember just it, that's when, like, watching those at a at a point when my creative well was low and I really had to be pulling from it anyway. I really appreciated just how creative 
Pixar movies movies are. And this movie in particular was really there was just a lot of a lot of really just great stuff in there <laughs> to start to finish, you know. I love those monsters. It was kind of like it was like if somebody had stolen your notebook from like second grade and put like yes. a team of professionals on making all the monsters. <laughs> yeah, right. Through on your notebooks and stuff like that. Oh God, that was yeah, so good. Exactly. Uh, then they throw in like little details, like the monster that has five heads has like five little hard hats on. Like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had to go in there and put the hard hats on the five different heads. <laughs> I screamed when they went to dinner at Harryhausen's. Being a big Ray Harryhausen fan, I'm like Harryhausen's. Ah, that's the best. Well, one of the things too, though, what I love so much about about Monsters Inc. is that the monsters aren't scary except for the boss, who's scary not because he's a monster, but because he's the boss. Yes. Like he's scary yes. because like Waternoose is. Yeah. He's scary because he can fire them. He has control over their mm -hmm. destiny. It's not scary because he's got all the crab legs and all this. Stuff. That's not why he's scary. He's scary because he's scary because he, he looks power. like Albert Finney. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> and talks like James Coburn. <laughs> like, I say he's scary because he looks like Albert Finney. Yeah. <laughs> but they do a one. They do wonderful stuff in this movie with light. They do wonderful yeah. stuff in this movie with, with shadow yeah. and and um, they do a lot of stuff where the monsters alternate between being a little bit frightening and just just totally characterized that they're every day yeah, and yeah. they go back and forth between it, which makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've not seen monsters university. How good is it? It's okay. Yeah. A lot of the novelty of monsters Inc is lost. Um, yeah. and a lot of the, the craftsmanship is lost, but it's, it's, you know, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Not everything needs to be citizen Kane. Sometimes things can <laughs> just be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Ribs to you, fans. Yeah, yeah, truth, <laughs> truth. All right, cool. Tom, any closing thoughts on on Monsters uh, Inc. before we move on? Yeah, I would love to see a studio that just somehow gets it all done and just says no sequels. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, Part of the mission statement. Pull that off, man. Oh my god. <laughs> Do it right the first time. You get one shot at this and one shot only. That's it. I, you know? I don't hate Monsters University, but I think you're right, Joe. It's just it just doesn't have the same sheen. It's like a lot of it's just like well-worn territory at that point. So yeah, why? Yeah, so. Why? <laughs> so moving on, I'm gonna throw the die here for our next victim here. Four. Joe Pace, you're up next, sir. I could talk about the Incredibles, and I think if anybody has been <laughs> listening to the podcast, they're they're aware that we are fans of the superhero genre, of the comic book genre, and honestly, like I think a year or two, or, or maybe three before Iron Man and the MCU sort of came into their own, we got the Incredibles. Boy, what a what a bolt from the blue this property is, and Bob Parr, Mister Incredible. We get this guy; he's really good at his job. He loves doing it. Uh, he has all the attention and accolades you could ever want. The sense of purpose, adversaries who challenge his superhuman abilities, love of an equally heroic woman. Mr. Incredible's got it all, man. Like he's living the dream. And then it, it all gets taken away from him, right? Like what a beautiful construct narratively that they they set up this superhero world and then they then they flatten it and they take it away. Yeah. Everything that this guy, Mr. Incredible, had ever worked for was taken away from him. He shunted into this this world of meaningless cubicle paper shuffling, right? This dreary domesticity and and the worst he, part it, it, like malevolent domesticity right you know his job is to deny insurance claims yeah. well that's malevolent work but but i say like you know he's got the, the the meaningless malevolent paper shuffling but then this dreary domesticity i think of that scene around the the kitchen table where she says bob engage and he he can't like engaging is the last thing on his mind but the worst part of it is it's obscurity he's not a famous superhero anymore like he had it all 
Mr. Incredible had it all, but Bob Parr only has these memories of when it all matters. And he's yeah. got this expanding waistline uh, to go with it. So it's hard, it, honestly, for me, in the moment of truth is, it's hard not to relate to Bob Parr, to Mr. Incredible, especially for men of a certain age who may yeah. or may not be on this podcast. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. We thought we'd be heroes too, right? And and for this brief shining window, many of us were, right? I mean, whether that was playing field, classroom, stage, wink of a young girl's eye, we were incredible too. And then reality intervenes and, you know, age, lawns, minivans, and we look up, we're 40, 50, the kids are fighting at the dinner table and our wives want to know why we're not happy. Bob gets lucky. Like he gets it back. He gets to be a superhero again. He gets to revisit those glory days yeah. um, of doing what you're meant to do. Uh, and he doesn't even have to choose. He doesn't have to choose between destiny and family. He gets it back, right? Fate deftly weaves those things back together for him. And that's that's pretty incredible. Uh, I, I just, for me, the moment of truth is that moment when he gets the suit back on and the belt mm-hmm. doesn't quite fit. and He's got to suck it in. <laughs> right? It's like putting on your old uniform. Yeah, you, yeah, whether that whatever uniform band football, I don't care. Like you're going to put that thing on and feel 17 and it's like he, it doesn't fit and he sucks it in. And he gets that belt together. And now he's got the illusion that, yeah, baby, it fits. Yeah, I don't care if I got the Dunlap going on over it. Like I got the belt to, to connect again and it, it just lights him back up again. And the, the what the Incredibles does so brilliantly, other than deconstruct the superhero genre, it, it tackles that concept of of middle age and middle-aged mm-hmm. malaise and, and mm-hmm. a middle-aged sense of loss of purpose. It's a cartoon, right? It's an animated feature, but the amount of pathos attached to it just in that moment and in the, the arc of, of Bob Parr's character, mm-hmm. that um, that is more brilliant than 99% of the, the live action films that are out there. No, oh, it's, it, it's really fantastic. I, I think, you know, it, yet with, with Parr, for, for a lot of people, especially professional folks and in middle age and all that, there's this balance of there's who you are and there's what you do. And those two tend to overlap to a certain degree, you know, especially if you live in a culture where, you know, what you do is supposed to become who you are as a mark of your dedication to your craft or your mark of excellence, that sort of thing. And like that, that, that erosion between your personal self and your professional self starts to really kind of, you know, kind of blur those lines quite a lot that like that way lies demons as well, because if something happens to one side or the other and inevitably it always does, it affects both sides. And so you see Bob's is like, he's just a man adrift, you know? And it's like, it's a really, yeah, it's a really telling portrait of a guy who's got more to offer in a world that doesn't want it from him. And that's just a really terrible, terrible, terrible feeling to have, you know? And and they, they they nailed it. They nailed it with humor, but but they but they still nailed it really quite well. And any guy who's ever been like no longer part of something they want to be part of can look at that and like, mm, man, I feel his pain so key so keenly do I feel it. <laughs> when know? he gets into the when he pulls into the the driveway, and there's a little kid on the tricycle, and he like remember he lifts up the car that one time. Yeah, right. And then, and then he pulls in and he looks out and he says, "What are you waiting for, kid?" And the kid says, "I don't know, something incredible, I guess." And he says, "Yeah, me too." Yeah, like, me too. He's he's yeah. like his life is not incredible. It used to be action and awesome. And I, yeah. I think about like retired athletes. I know like whether the professional athletes or who yeah. just like, they can never recapture that sense of, of whether it's excitement or verve or, 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 or whatever it might be yeah. that used to give them a sense of purpose that they move into a, a banal stretch of their life that it, it, it's, uh, it's absent. Well, they and, tell a lot of stories. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we can talk about, you know, yeah. how that's been captured in song and other and other formats. You know, that's why I talk about for Bob Parr, for Mr. Incredible, like he gets it back. Like we're able to watch him sort of vicariously. We're able to experience him recapturing that part of himself. Yeah. And that's great. But it's also sort of 
upsetting for those of us to know it's not it's not going to happen yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah for yeah. us right like i mean that's that's fine we're still going to be sitting in that car that's too small for us in the driveway knowing that <laughs> something incredible is not comically coming. tragically too small <laughs> it's it's even implied that his sex life improves yes no, it it's is more, it's, it's more than implied yeah, yeah it's more yeah, yeah. exactly so uh, Tom, are you going to say something? the knife, though, is like, you know, the little Napoleon boss, you know, who's, who yells at him yeah. constantly. And you're thinking, like, this guy's like a superhero. He could literally, like, squash this guy. And it's yeah. taking like, <gasps> everything inside him to just keep him from, like, you know, just reaching out and pounding the guy into the ground. Like, you know, like you're one of those golf tees. Or is, it, is it me? Is it me, Tom? Or isn't the boss the same? Isn't that the voice talent of uh, Vincent, um Vizzini? Vizzini from, yeah, from Princess so. Bride. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. I hadn't made that connection until just yeah. this second. That's no, no. This... I, I, I'm pretty confident they cast him because they knew we were going to connect him to the Princess Bride. I'm like, oh god, that guy. You know, and just like just a guy you want to see, you want to see him punted into orbit so bad, and you know you're Through not really going to get satisfaction. Yeah. yeah. This is the the Pixar movie, but the, probably the, this the one that I, I saw with my kids the second most. Yeah probably my favorite pixar movie joe um i, I love it's it it's hard to argue with that yeah i want to i, I want to say two things about it my, my favorite single thing about the movie is you know the guy who bob injures while rescuing at the beginning of the movie and files the lawsuit i think he's the best part of the movie my client didn't want it's to just such it's such brilliant animation you know he's got this cervical collar on in it it forces his chin back and he's he's like looking around at everyone like downward <laughs> and he looks so indignant and it it, it cracks me up so hard every time it, it's, it's just really it's funny great character it is really work. funny the art direction of the movie is out of hand it's so yeah. good and, and and you know for me I have a moment of truth in this movie, and it's it. of course the I'm not I'm I'm not strong enough scene. Yeah, yeah. When I rewatched this movie recently, you know what I really thought about was Tolkien because th this is Tolkien's version of love. Uh, you know, never separate because you're stronger together. He does it over and over in his in his his stories. Yeah. With, you know, uh, Luthien, Luthien and Baron, Frodo and Sam, uh, so oh, on okay. and so on. There, there are there are like six examples, and I, I don't know that that's a great message to me stick yeah. together yeah <laughs> i also i mean it's hard not to, it's hard not to love the uh you know it, it, the take on marriage the whole bit where yeah. like yeah. he and he and elastigirl like they have a very real marriage right like this is not yeah like they do Hollywood, like they fight like there's obviously yeah. like very deep and, and and real affection and love there but there's also yeah. tensions yeah in their marriage there's a tension of raising children there's a tension of lapsed expectations for yeah. our own lives and and like she knows that she she's knows, dealing with better than he is yeah. right but she also she big, knows. big shout out to holly hunter by the way for voice right. work oh yeah. so good so good she, she, knows. she really made her sexy it, 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 yeah yeah no, I, I, that may be weird but it, like holly hunter made lester sexy and and real in a really neat way I, I love I love Chris how much she she knows how much your husband hurts and she like she mm -hmm. gives that a lot of rope yeah but then at the end she says listen I just I need you to, I need you to give up on it I need you to grow up I need you to move into the next phase of our lives together and and he and he can't and there's that what I love about the this movie is it's that any great fiction has tension at its heart the tension in this movie isn't there's a bomb that's going to go off and destroy the city it's can this, can this man and this woman who are in love make their marriage work? 
Yeah. Right? Like that's, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. the yeah. core tension of this film. Yeah. And that's absolutely. brilliantly yeah, I agree. Yeah, no. I mean, this is a movie that, you know, before the MCU really kind of completely re- rebooted. superhero movies? What would, you, what would you expect from superhero movies? I felt this was the greatest superhero movie ever made. Uh, sure, it was. Like, the action in it is fantastic. Like, when they're on the island and, like, Dash sure. is cha- being chased by this crazy, like, flying buzzsaw things. It's just so cool. Like, like there's just this super... The movie captures Violent like hamster ball. It, well, it it just captures like Silver Age Fantastic Four kind of scene, right. but it makes it like so real and new and sexy and, and awesome kinetic. Right? and yeah. kinetic. It's like never has a supervillain's lair in a volcano looked more freaking awesome, right? I mean, just well, they layer so in like it's oh. James Bond. They layer in this James Bond, yeah. like and they and yeah. they give it this like this Silver Age sixties, yeah. like schmaltzy like, leisure suit music to go with yeah, it but like like that, that never ended in mode yeah, yeah. well and because because it's like that's when that's when they were superheroes originally so it's like they get they get to go back to that age but it's like they bring it up to the present and it looks so cool you're like you know this is a little bit before my time but boy it, like like this romanticization of it is super compelling i'm digging it my moment of truth i think is when jack and frozone are in the car and they're they're bowling right and they're really just having like you know they, like to your point you know you know you know Chris they tell he's a lot of stories right yeah he's monologuing <laughs> that line busts me up because it's like oh man like they like they, they they know the routines and it's like you know the guys monologuing they know they're monologuing they can't help but monologue that's the whole point that's why they they're coined in this weird that box line. you know they coined the word monologuing yeah they exactly did. so it, it, which is which is hilarious where is my oh, super arguing <laughs> when they're in the burning building and everything. And like, you know, he's, he's telling Frozone, like, oh, I, I thought you could, you know, make ice appear. Oh, I didn't pull it out of the air. Like, these are two guys that have like a lot of history between them. And they're, <laughs> yeah, they're really right. bragging on each it's other. It's Cyclops and Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> two old work buddies are just like, they can just go after each other and they don't really take it personally. But Pixar movies are known for other Easter eggs and like weird little call outs and that sort of thing. But there's a really weird one that eagle eyed fans have drawn between this movie and, um, and uh, Avengers Infinity War, which is that in Infinity War, when they get that, that post credit scene where spoiler alert, it's after the snap, right? And Maria Hill and Nick Fury driving along and like, what's going on? You know? And they get out of their car and they look up, you see this, this helicopter, like boop, 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 hit the building. If you look in the Incredibles, <laughs> When all, all hell's break loose in Frozone's apartment, he looks out the window and this helicopter goes whoop, 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 in the exact same way. And people are like, wait a minute, wait. And they're like, uh, they're like, like two scenes side by side. They're identical. They're Samuel L. Jackson and both, right? It's, it's, it's so funny. I think I think the thing about the, the last thing I'll say about uh, about The Incredibles 2 is that um, the children are written so realistically. In the oh my God. Yeah. And absolutely. Both Violet and Dash are, are, are fully realized human beings um, yeah. within, within their own realities. I just love that they each have their own motivations. They each have their own um, worlds that they inhabit. Yeah. And it, it's just, it is, I, I will say this about the Incredibles. It's not a great Pixar film. It's a, it's a great story and a great movie. And um, straight I'll up, put it up against just about anything else that's come out over the last 30 years. Yeah. It very much transcended my expectations for what Pixar was supposed to bring to the party. And I was just like, very quickly, I was so drawn into the magic of this oh, this movie's own kind of thing. I just kind of forgot like who was making it, that it was computer. I was just like, I was so into whatever this movie was going to have to sell me, you know, because it, it just pulled me in very, very deeply, very quickly. And I just, I was so ready for this. Even when you adjust for, you know, a sequel can never quite have the novelty of the first. Incredibles 2 is a heck of a sequel. It's, it's very, fun, yeah. it's quite good. Yeah. You know? yeah. 
lot, you know, awful lot of fun. You want to watch? Like, you want like more than quite good, really good. It's, I, I think it's really, really good. I, no, I think it's. I, I really quite enjoyed watching Elastigirl pull on like a masterclass of being a total badass. Like here she goes, yeah. like she's just doing her thing. The Elastigirl cycle scene that was just it. I mean, that was just brilliantly thought of. Now, get away from the animation. Just just the way they they blocked that scene and how she's using her powers to drive a discombobulated motorcycle across town. It was exciting. And you're like, how are powers going to work? And it was just like, they were thinking about that sequence on multiple levels. Like that sort of stuff was happening a lot in Incredibles 2. And it was just a pleasure to watch. It was, it's a very meta movie. I, yeah. I, I yeah. really loved it. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I did like how there is, um, you know, that one, like that flashbulb villain who like, you know, knock people out by giving like, you know, you know, flashing things. I'm like, well, that's great because you're going to get people in the audience to seizure too. <laughs> like, and I'm sure they did somewhere. So we're going to roll the die one more time here. It's going to, it's all right. This is me. All right. So I'm going to jump in. The one I'm picking is the one that started it all is I'm going to get into Toy Story. I have a very special place in my heart for Toy Story for the franchise in general for a couple reasons. I took my wife, Allison, on our first date to see Toy Story. Okay, let's see how she liked it. And I was like, that was, a, you know, I was like, what do you think? She, she was like, that was awesome. And I'm thinking, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like this is going to work out. Baby. Yeah, this is going to work out. Acid test, yep. yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is going to work out just fine, right? I really, really love the central conceit of just the secret world of toys. It's not just an ownership thing. It's a, it's a relationship. They're there to serve. They're there to be consulting. But there's like this very nuanced relationship. And toys are effectively immortal, so they have to deal with the fact that they're going to get lost. They're going to get forgotten. They're going to get abandoned. Their owners will grow up and not need them anymore. It's all terribly poignant. These movies are really all about how life is kind of a series of goodbyes and how the way in which we navigate them tends to play a big part in determining how our sense of happiness and fulfillment plays out afterwards. Where I think this really matters a lot in the movies for me is that I still remember very vividly as a kid, you know, probably because I had, you know, an overactive imagination and all that, but I had an emotional relationship with my toys, especially my stuffed animals, for whom each had a name, each had a personality, they were characters in my imaginary little world. If a toy got lost, that was like you had a friend that got lost. If a toy got destroyed, that was like a friend that got destroyed. You know, I remember just feeling genuine heartbreak over these sorts of things that Toy Story really trades on quite a lot. And so when I watch these movies, it's like, yeah, it brings me back to six, seven, eight, nine years old. Those things really mattered to me in a way that they don't quite anymore. There are certain toys from my from my childhood that I lost one way or another when I, when I was an adult. And if I think about it too hard, it hurts. You know, it, you know, really hurts because I'm like that toy was like counting on me to not lose it, <laughs> you know, and now it's gone somewhere and I can only hope it's in a place where it's being loved by somebody who loves it as much as I did. Toy Story really hits me where I live, right? And I love all of them, right? I absolutely love these <laughs> these movies because it, they go way deeper than you expect them to. And each movie's got a great moment of kind of, of piercing melancholy to it. Like in Toy Story 1, you've got when Buzz tries to fly and he crashes. They play I'll Never Sail Again, which is like, I mean, if you look at the lyrics, these are sad lyrics. I mean, in a kid's movie, these are sad lyrics, right? In Toy Story 2, you've got that scene, you know, uh, sung by Sarah McLaughlin, who is like shorthand for, you know, longing and sorrow, right? How dare you uh, kill that animal. Yeah, seriously. But, but you got Jesse, you know, that song, you know, When She Loved Me. She's remembering how her girl, Emily, kind of grew out of her, forgot about her, and cast her aside. A rejection on the deepest possible level. And you see this toy really, really hurt over it, and you feel that that pain. Because then you feel bad for every time 
<laughs> you grew out of a toy and cast it aside. Like, oh my God, I was Emily how many times? You know, and you're like, how many toys did I hurt like this? And you're like, holy crap, I'm the bad guy, right? And the, and the movie doesn't wag its finger at you. It just it just lets that you make that connection. You're in the you're in the you're in this dark room with popcorn, crying into it. Like I'm such a bad person because I forgot Jerry the giraffe. You know, and it was like, you know, it just it just happens, right? The real moment of truth is in Toy Story three. Freaking great movie. It was kind of a toss up between. There's a scene when our heroes they're facing imminent demise. They're like in this incinerator and. I really thought they were going to die. Like, that movie pulled me in so much. I should know better. I'm a writer. I should be able to stay ahead of stories. But <laughs> Pixar, Pixar movies are so good that I switch all that off, right? I, I really surrender to the spell, and I never try to get in front of them. Really suspend my disbelief entirely and just go wherever they want me to take them. So as a result, I get swept up quite easily in Pixar movies. And so they're all dying they're, you know, they're getting ready to die. I'm like, they're all going to die, but at least they're going to die together. But, oh, my God. You know, it's like I'm, like, fully in. And I was like, man. Gladiator ending. Yeah. And, like, I remember thinking, wow, when's the last time I got hoodwinked that bad by a movie that I actually believe they're going to kill the entire cast <laughs> when they never kill the entire cast, Bill? I mean, I was, I was like, it's kind of, kind of ashamed. But it's like, no, because it's like it's because I love them so much. And my love makes me vulnerable, you know. And I realized that's, <laughs> like, that's okay. Like, I'll own that. That's all right. The real moment of truth really has to be at the end of Toy Story 3, where Andy, after 17 years, he's growing up, he's going to college, he doesn't need his toys anymore. The toys are realizing that Andy is moving on without them. This is a major transition in their life. And a lot of it is, where are they going to go next? What's their next chapter in life, right? This is where life can get really bad for a toy. Ultimately, after much drama, twists and turns, Andy decides he's going to give his whole collection to this little girl, Connie, who had come to know Woody during the course of the, the movie, right? He he decides on his own. He's getting ready to go to college. He goes on his own to Connie's house. I got some toys for you, right? And he puts the box down. He gets on Connie's level, right? He's not just like, I got these toys, drops them off. He gets on Connie's level and talks to her as he would want to be talked to, right? He's not he's not like condescending to her. Right. And he, he introduces each toy as, and not as a thing, but as, but as a friend, he's as like, a he's like, person, as, as a, a person, like as a friend, like this is my person. This is, this is, why, this is why they're cool. This is why I care about them. Here you go. Each, each toy gets their own distinct introduction, right? Every single one. He's giving them away as beloved friends and Connie receives them not as things, but as a beloved new friend. She's making all these friends at once. What a great day this is, you know. And she, you know, she's going to give them the life that they deserve because she's so she's lighting up over it, right? And over his attention, and over his like, attention. That it, it all, it's like this magic stew. It's yay. yeah, right. <laughs> Connie looks, and there's one more thing in the box is Woody. And Annie wasn't expecting Woody to be there. He was expecting to kind of, Woody was going to be like probably the one tool he brings with him to college and, and hangs on to. He leaves behind and, in his room at his mom's house. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. You know, uh, a, a remembrance of an earlier life. And Connie sees it. She's like, oh, no, my cowboy. And he's like, what? And, and, and she can even, like, like, he knows that she's played with him because she can recite the lines. Like, there's a rattlesnake in my boot, you know? And so there's a moment where he recoils. He pulls her back, and you can see Connie's hurt by it. He realizes it's time to give up Woody. He knows that Connie will love him more than he will and that Woody has gotten him this far, so mission accomplished. So he gives him over with a smile, but he also asks her, take care of him for me, right? And that, like, that's like the love is not yet done, which is just, you know, oh, God, I'm crying right now. It's killing me because it's, so, <laughs> it's just so sweet, right? And he does this. He does this all on his own without his mom telling him to do it, right? So we mm -hmm. see like Andy, we see Andy's first act as an adult is doing this act of marvelous, beautiful generosity to a child, 
that he doesn't have to do, but he does it. And after he gives them away, he then stops and gets on and he plays with her. Like they just play right. together. He's on his way to college, man. Like he doesn't have to do this, but he still plays with her because that's the kind of that's the kind of man he's become. And and it's like his his life with these toys has helped him become this kind of guy. And it's just like, you know, dude, is there anything sweeter? No, there is not. So I'm gonna pause no, there. But, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there to wipe my eyes because I'm freaking leaking here badly. To, to, to what extent is that like an act of service to the toys, though? That you know, it's I, he's being super sweet to Connie, but I think yeah. I think he's also I, I think it's like the moment in this series where maybe he, Andy kind of gets it. These are friends, and yeah. and and they need this help from him to have a happy life. I think it's Bonnie and not Connie, but that's uh, uh, neither. Oh, neither maybe. Oh, you know, it, it, it might be um, Bonnie. Yeah, sorry. And, and the only reason I think of that is because to go back to Tom's earlier earlier point, there is you're all familiar with the uh, the Pixar theory, which is that this is a um, sure, sure. Uh, yeah. This sure, universe is all bound together, and that that Bonnie actually winds up like she invents time travel and becomes the witch in Brave, and like is involved <laughs> in Toy Story. I heard, I heard of that. that one. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's like, go look it up. Like the Pixar unified, <laughs> grand unified theory. There, there's that's a impressive. lot of versions of it, though. Yeah, there, yeah, there yeah. are different versions of it, but it's, it's hilarious. And it's been debunked by, you know, the um, <laughs> the powers that be are like, yeah, no, yeah. But that yeah. doesn't stop anybody from putting it together. Um, you do you but, guys. <laughs> but one of the beautiful things about Toy Story is that from the moment of the first, that the conceit from Toy Story, the original, mm-hmm. when the conceit is unveiled, all of us, immediately buy into it because we're like well yeah of course of course our toys are all alive like exactly it immediately drops us back to being five or six years old when we would fall asleep with the suspicion that our toys had had their own lives outside of our our agency right like we we knew that that was that was that was axiomatic (laughs) and and so it immediately from the moment toy story unveils and they all get up and start interacting there's no suspension of disbelief it's the reinvocation of belief yeah it's like i knew it <laughs> and so that's why it works yeah. so yeah. well as a narrative construct because it doesn't ask us to believe something that's not true it asks us to remember something we once believed was true yeah and yeah yeah so so from the moment we do that through toy story 3 when andy takes that box and gives it away we are brought back to a love that we had had once yielded up yeah. And and whether we specifically remember the moment of that pain or not, it is a very real thing that happened to all of us. And it takes us back. I remember sitting in the theater with my wife and yes, it was a very dusty place. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I needed eye drops. It was a whole thing. But like, how do you not if you have a soul Pan was you, directly in your eyes? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like if you have a soul, you can't watch Toy, Toy Story 3 and not remember your own lost loves from your childhood, whether yeah. they were stuffed animals or I don't care, G.I. Joe's, Transformers, yeah. Cowboys or Space Rangers. It doesn't matter. We all had our friends that we had to give up when we grew yeah. up. And um, such I gave problem. up nothing. I'm sorry you had no <laughs> friends. Um, we have a I have a very vivid recollection of my He-Man guys, like Masters of the Universe. I had a whole yeah. trunk of these guys. And I must have been. I don't know, 26, 27. And my nephew was like 28. Oh, my nephew was like eight years old. Yeah. And I brought the trunk over and gave him to him. And we did that same thing where we said, and this was, you know, years before Toy Story, but like sat down and like, here's He-Man, here's Skeletor. Look yeah. at these guys. Look at, this is how he holds this. Right. Yeah. And like going and doing that one last playthrough with all those things. It is a moment of 
maybe it's coming of age, maybe it's loss of childhood, maybe it's just an, an unavoidable transition in our lives, but it's it's something that Toy Story 3 captures perfectly. I can definitely identify Bill with like sort of anthropomorphizing or whatever the word is, uh, my toys. Like we, we all grew up like reenacting the Battle of Hoth and, and you know, like playing with G.I. Joes and doing, you know, real war scenarios and stuff like that. It's like, how could you not ascribe personalities to them? And, yeah. you know, at one point, you know, wonder what it would be like if they were real and, and like, I remember like taking my toys, you know, down the block to play at a friend's house during a snowstorm. There's a whole story about how I acquired the big Adat, you know, if you remember that thing. And, you know, I remember like, you know, we're we're playing on this guy's front lawn in this snowstorm and it's like the battle of Hoth all over again. And there are these two little like guns that go under the Adat's chin that are like crystal and they light up like when you. Yeah. 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 Well, like, one of them fell off and into the snow and like we just we never found it like it just it, no. but like i remember like carrying the ad at back home and just being so disappointed like the toy was counting on me to not screw this up and, and here i am i screwed it up and, and like i'm gonna turn 50 next year and like every time i think of that ad at now i'm like the ad at hates me because i lost one of its chin cannons like dude always like <laughs> Dude, I will never I, get that thought out of my head. <laughs> I was actually down in 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 Lexington, Virginia, because my father was going to a reunion for his law school. At that time, Fisher Price, which makes like the little people, they did this like adventure series. Basically, they're trying to like follow on like Star Wars figures, you know, and they're all like all like rescue themed and like you know, because they weren't like violent, but they're all like you know like you know rescue ranger type things or science divers or whatever. Right. And we had this one like this little place that there was like it was it was like a like a like a like a whitewater raft kind of thing, you know. They're strapping dudes like, yeah, he's a river guide, whatever. Well, my brother called this guy Jim. Jim was like the coolest character. Like wherever we played, he always called first dibs on Jim. Jim was the coolest guy. And we're playing and playing in the sand and we're just like and we're just like doing like, you know, all of these guys are getting buried and all that. And I buried Jim and then couldn't find him again. And then like, and it was time to go. And my brother's like, well, where's Jim? Like, I, I, I got to find him. He's like, what? And it was like, Bill, like, you know, Billy buried Jim and we can't find him. And I was like, oh man, I got it from every angle. My parents are mad at me. My brothers are mad at me. Jim I was, was mad, mad at, at me. Jim was mad at me. Like the whole thing. Like to this day, I still oh, think man. two things. One, did anybody ever find Jim? Or is he still there? And two, like, I, you know, there's like a bit of like a Mandela effect between head. between like what I remember him looking like and what he actually looked like. So trying to find him on like the eBay market to just like so because I you know for years I was like best thing for for Christmas this year is like, I'm going to get him this old figure again. I could never find it for sure. So like it really bedeviled me. Like God, like I just want to I just want to get it again and I can't. You know, and it's like my crime my crime can never be forgiven. The wound is always open <laughs> forever and now. Right. So. A little boy found Jim. And he took him home, and it became his favorite toy. Okay, just just keep repeating that. Over that is that over. that head cannon has kind of kept me going for a long time. Tom, Tom. your your adat, your adat lost that blaster crystal in its best case play scenario. It did an adat yes. in the snow in the snow. Sake, Come there, on. there is no sacrifice too great. <laughs> that, that's okay. You know, I will I will say this about about you know Andy. He is going to kick himself in 20 years when he has children and he can't play with his toys with them like that i, I will say i love the scene That's of him giving point. bonnie the toys yeah but yeah. dude 
put those yeah. favorite toys in a box in the attic and yeah. when you have children you will play with them with your children and everybody will be so delighted like That's they will point. they yeah. won't mind the 20 years in the attic when they get to get pulled out again to play with your children like i think about the the toys that i kept that i played with with my own children that that rediscovery that the wonder my children experienced playing. And for me, it was like, you know, Transformers. Yeah, or, that's a special like magic though. That's the, a special the, magic. The rediscovery that, the discovery that my children experienced, but then for me, the rediscovery, I'm six years old all of a sudden mm-hmm. for an hour yeah. playing on the floor with these things. Absolutely. And I, it's, there's some of the most magical moments I've ever spent with my own children yeah. is forget whatever toys you buy for them. The toys you pull out of the attic and out of a shoebox and say, hey guys, this is what I. This is what Daddy played with when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. There is a. What is there is wrong a with you, Dad? <laughs> What's that, Chris? What is wrong with you, Dad? <laughs> well, like, let's make a list. But there is a <laughs> no, special sorcery to that that yeah. can't be faked. Last time, I'm gonna roll the die, die ceremoniously. We know how it's gonna go. <laughs> All right, it comes up, Chris. Chris Crenshaw, walk us through your favorite part of Pixar and what's your moment of truth from it. Unlike most of you guys, I. I did not watch Pixar until I had kids. Didn't want to get stoned and watch a bug's life, huh? No, no. Roach's weirdly. <laughs> Although I did after I had kids. Um, <laughs> but Cars was the movie that most, that you know, I shared most with my kids. You know, my, my older son, Eli, has had a, a big plastic Lightning McQueen bed and, um, we had that same that, movie. that movie was nothing but a, 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 a like a shot for shot remake practically of uh, Doc, Hollywood. Doc Hollywood. But thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> but but you know, good characters, good writing, good humor, fun movie. I will always love it because it's something I share with my kids. Sure. Over time, what I really love about Pixar are the short films. While while they were waiting, you know, they they had done the work on on Toy Story. While they were waiting for it to hit the theaters and become successful, and you know, finally make them some money, they were doing like commercials and short films, and you know, just just anything they could get paid for. They 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 made stuff for you know like Boston Market, McDonald's, just countless countless companies. They really did seem to master it because yeah. you know when when you when you look at pixar's short film history it goes back to you know like you say bill 1984's adventures of andre and wally b uh you know they did a lot of stuff with luxo and luxo jr you know the the lamp Mm. figures um and, and they did a lot of a lot of short films that were associated with the theatrical releases of their 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 big movies one man band uh, for cars, uh, lifted for Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It was for the birds for for Monsters Inc. I believe, Tom. Yeah. And a lot of these are really great. Uh, you, Bill, you brought up uh, Piper. You you introduced me with Piper uh, from Finding Dory. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that is a beautiful, beautiful film. Oh, it, it is. It is. The animation style. It's like it's it's at once hyper realistic and cartoonish. And yeah. And I, I I think it's really amazing, a really amazing movie. Um, sand has never looked so beautiful as it does right. in Piper. It, yeah, sand it actually beautiful. water over it. <laughs> yeah. Um. It won the uh. It won, did win the Academy Award for Best Animated Short. Mm-hmm. 
Bao also did. That um, is the creepiest thing I've ever seen in my life, by the Bao way. Bao is... Like, I still have nightmares about that. <laughs> that is messed Bao up. Bao is so sweet. It is messed up. So I think everybody's right. It's messed up, but I actually couldn't watch it today, Chris, because, you know, Al and I because are Because it's both... messed up. No, it's because we're empty nesters at the moment. And the notion of like, you know, coming with your kid who's not there anymore, we're like, so you're gonna I, 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 is that what's going to happen? Well, no, I just, I queued it up and me and Allie were like, yeah, we're not up for this. This no. is, no, yeah, too much. Oh, one of my, my favorite one of those though, the, the, the feature related ones is 22 versus earth, which was associated with soul. Right. And, and it's the story of a, of a, a spirit who just, you know, I don't want to be born. Earth sounds like it sucks. <laughs> and and it is so poignant and yeah. and so so uh so sensitive mm-hmm. you know to 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 just people that feel different and and that's where i get to the spark shorts because yeah. i think these things are amazing this is a so series good. of short films uh they're basically like expressions by the individual Pixar filmmakers and artists, you know, it's, you know, they're they're just personal expression stuff. Um, uh, Pixar's employees are given six months off and a a budget to develop them. So uh, the first one was Pearl, uh, which is, you know, the story of an animated ball of yarn that goes, you know, into, into a man's world workplace that I I think is just a, a, an amazing expression uh, uh you know of of uh, you know misogyny and then understanding and it's it's brilliant uh kitbull my god yeah if I you haven't if you have not watched kitbull Kit watch it oh, it's a story god. of a, a kitten and a pitbull and it's it's just heartbreaking heartwarming it's, it's it lovely. is but there, there's a series of, of these of these shorts uh including float and yes. loop and burrow and maybe out yeah out out it's, it's the biggest one they're all about expressing the viewpoint of underrepresented people whether it's you know little boys that can float as it were you know who are different it yes. burrow is is you know the story of an anxious apparent rabbit who has to find acceptance in a community loop is is the story of a a, an apparently autistic nonverbal child who is being coaxed along by a little boy and out is the story of a young man who's gay and can't bring himself to come out to his conservative parents all of these stories feel like they could be the most important thing in the world to certain children. Yeah. And, and I, I just, it's, it's for me, it's, it's the biggest reason to love Pixar. They are so much about representation and alternate viewpoints and bringing people into the conversation and making them part of the conversation that I, I just really, really, really love it. Out absolutely broke my heart. I, I, yeah. All of these things, all of these yeah. things made me cry. Now, in fact, uh, I should say that, I should tell you this too, uh, as, as sort of a big experiment, as I had a long time to prepare for this particular episode, I watched the last 10 minutes 
of, I don't know, 15 or 20 Pixar films. And the enormous majority of them made me cry. You know, just, just watching the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yep. Like clockwork. The, all of these, all of these shorts, they're distillations of that. Uh, all, all with you know in the case of these spark shorts and and anything that's produced for like disney plus yeah yeah where it's you know absolutely multinational the credits are longer than the films themselves yeah yeah because of all the localization info uh, there there's so many great little stories that hit me where i feel that make me feel things i didn't know i felt and uh they're they're so worthwhile and, and you know, why don't we pay PBS to be like Pixar? Let's let's give them some funds to see what they can do. You know, Chris. I mean, the one thing I think of too is I think of some of the movies that would have been better off as shorts. Like, I mean, um, I think of Up, especially where the first ten minutes. Yeah, the first ten minutes of Ups. Its own short, its own. and then the rest of the movie is is anticlimax. Yeah. After the first ten minutes is the most beautiful representation of like of grief and love yeah. that maybe has ever been put on film maybe ever possibly oh my god shattering absolutely i know of no one who has watched the first 10 minutes of up and was not completely blown to smithereens by it it is and then you gotta watch the stupid rest of the with the balloons you're like wait wait, hold on a second it's it's fun but yeah nothing is gonna come (laughs) nothing is gonna but but also though in its defense i don't think the human heart could withstand an hour 40 of that level of emotional energy i just no Mm -mm. i would have died in my chair i would not have made it (laughs) absolutely you know yeah yeah like the 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 short wind where uh there's apparently some some apocalypse has happened or or this is a different place uh this granddaughter grandmother and 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 grandson are living at the bottom of a pit they can see the sky above them and and there's no gravity you know essentially things are floating around as asteroids and they're they they survive by scavenging uh you know pieces of whatever world existed before and oh my god the story is so heartbreaking it's yeah it, the, I, don't, I don't want to tell you what happens go watch yeah. it but it you know it it, it it so these these yeah. these stories are so expressive of love yeah so many yeah. of them well and, and and pixar i mean like they did one about like volcanic islands which is yes. about like pining oh, and lava and it's and so lava, good right it's lava is so good um my and, wife and i to this day still say i lava you like that that's like a thing with lava, a lot of them are silent, right? They do a lot of they do, they a, do a lot a of lot. great storytelling without it's actually hearing, without animation. saying anything. Okay, and lava yeah. is one of the few that actually has spoken language, although it's it's lyrics of a song, right? Yeah. And it, what I kept getting for that one was it was almost like a love letter to um, Israel. Uh, I'm gonna I'm not even gonna try to pronounce his last name because I'm so bad at it. So I apologize to to I know who you're talking about right. Player. Yeah, he he yeah. did the oh he you know you know and, and he he did the over the rainbow song which is like right. pra- it's practically is, the national anthem is. of Hawaii now yeah is yeah. right is yeah. but like I but I was hearing that guy as as I was singing it was, it was that kind of lovely sure. lilting song is like and, but lava was such a beautiful I just adored it you know I love that it has a happy ending like right? that's I think the only reason I can yeah. survive yeah. because it takes you from that that one came out before Inside Out which then takes you on an emotional roller coaster Whew. and like yeah. if that had been like one of the unhappy shorts. Yeah, right. And then right. takes you into that. There would have yeah. been like Harry <laughs> in the theater. Like yeah. I can't. Like, but, 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 Chris, to your point though, the Spark shorts are really like they deserve a lot of notice and a lot of acknowledgement because just apart from the representation, just they go in every different direction. Like, like how often does a major studio like Pixar give creatives that much 
leeway to just go in whatever direction that speaks to them and then come back later. I mean, the the, the spark charts are all over the place and in a good way, right? Yeah. In, term, in terms of like story, in terms of visual style, in terms of animation style, like it's just this massive like survey of just like, where could we go next? And it, it collectively, it gives you the sense that Pixar can do anything. I, I think that both 20 something and, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think that both 20 something and Nona released since i did my big dive into this stuff so yeah. i just saw them today yeah um i've not seen them 20 something's brilliant it's 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 just yeah. it's a story of a, a a woman on her 21st birthday she goes to a club with her older sister she's conceiving of herself as you know a 10 year old kid with a, a baby and a six-year-old kid on top of her, you know, like, like she, she, it's three phases of her life and, yeah. and she's trying to integrate them as an adult. And <laughs> it, what, what a, I don't know, just, it, it, it really yeah. is a, a striking story idea. And yeah. because this Spark Short series in particular, it's so accepting and open, you know, they, yeah. they'll, they'll let them do anything. It seems. Pixar's body of work was not always as representational as you That's see true. in later work and the Spark Shorts. And they actually got called out for it, right? And once they got called out for it, they're like, you know what, actually, you're right. Let's see if we can do better, right? And that's when you see Pixar really making a serious effort to 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 make their work accessible to everybody. And you see, all, you know, and that's when it really blows out. You have to acknowledge that not only do the works themselves invite everybody to enjoy, but like the company itself is like, you know what, we need to do better. And not every company does does that 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 well right out of the gate but you know what if you are called out saying hey you could do better you know you have a choice to say yes we can or no we're not going to and they said yes we can and they really delivered and delivered again and again and again and again and again and i i so i so you know i, I as somebody who's never had to struggle with finding you know, representation in my in the art that I consume. It's four easy white guys for, here, right? It's four white guys. It's super <laughs> easy for us, right? But like, like one of the sorts was Sanjay's Super Team, which is this fantastic story of this this Indian kid who's like watching like Western superheroes on TV while his dad's trying to do like prayers, you know, and you know, like right next to him, and he's like trying to bring the kid over, and the kid's like, I just want to watch my Western superheroes, and like the whole thing becomes this like in the kid's imagination, he conflates like. You know his, you know the, the 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 gods of his religion and superhero superheroics into this weird kind of mishmash that exists only in his head. But it's so cool and it's so Indian, and you know it, it's this Indian creator just sort of ex expressing his own self. And I'm like, this is awesome, man! Like I, you can't see this anywhere else. And it's so cool. I'm like, I wish I want to see more of this because it's so it's so great. And I just I I really appreciate you get to see this. If I just wish more companies were doing this the way Pixar does it, I guess, is, is what it comes down to. And the shorts are such a great way to just, there's no risk. Just anybody, just do what you're going to do. And it's like, you get this massive constellation of really cool stuff. It's not just the shorts, but like they're actually their films over the last five years. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Have really yeah. made an effort, yeah. you know, between Coco or, or uh, Moana Soul. Or, yeah. Uh, well, Moana's Disney, right? Uh, uh, Moana's Disney, yeah. I think it's, you know, Coco, Soul, yeah. or yeah. Um, what's the other one that I was, I was, uh, I was thinking of that was uh, Luca. Like they, Luca. they yeah, made an effort to be um, other than traditional white protagonists, right? Yeah. They, they've done, a, I, I think, a really good job of of trying to tell stories that come from different traditions and come from different uh, backgrounds, yeah. um, and, and not in a way that is pandering or, or, or in a lip service way, in a very, in a very organic well, way that the storytelling isn't um, artificially done. Yeah, it's, it does it's, seem it's to get away without appropriation. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. Like something like Coco could have been like really cringy. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I think and about nearly was, I think. Well, like, I think, yes, but I it think, walked I think a fine they, line. I, well, it, it almost has to. I, yeah. I, I think if you're going to do it, you make the decision to do it and then you bring people in that help you to do it. Like, I think Moana is a great example, even though it's, it's not traditionally, it's not Pixar. You know, they, God, they did a really I good job of bringing so in people from that. That movie made me cry kind of a lot. Oh, endlessly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, I like, I go through phases of crying in Moana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's stages. Yeah, exactly. Stages attached to it. And, but oh, I think, you know, I, it's funny. And, and this this kind of blows beyond, beyond Pixar to say that, you know, over the last five years within animation and children's movies, animated films have been a space within which um, we've seen more representation than we've seen in traditional Hollywood films. Mm. I don't know if it's because it's easier or because I don't know why, whether it's children are a more accepting audience for that, mm. maybe than adults maybe. are and more open yeah. to that. Yeah. And hopefully that's just the, uh, you know, the point of the spear for what we're going to continue to see. Agreed. Agreed. You know, I, I said earlier that uh, I, I didn't really watch Pixar before I had kids uh the last pixar movie i think i watched with my kids was probably ratatouille i like coming at this the other way you know like i started with pixar movies like them and then my kids you know i had kids and then now they're into them like my kids loved luca like they 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 saw it at home i liked luca too and there was was a you know there was a a movie night you know that the community put on like outdoors you know yeah safe and everything like that yeah we're gonna go see luca again i was like i know there were not too many films back then you know other than like the star wars franchise and a couple other things that like i would have happily gone to see twice you know or three times like yeah it's yeah. great. I love, yeah. you know, having come into it and then like seeing my kids enjoy the same, you know, uh, the same studio do do stuff like they, they absolutely uh, adore most of the movies. Yeah. And, and, and super fun. Like when, it, when a studio, studio like Pixar is putting out content and you're engaging it and your kids are engaging it with equal enthusiasm maybe for the same reasons maybe not but you get to enjoy them on the same on the same at the same time and, and it becomes a, a a connection between you and your kids and and pixar is able to make something that is accessible to kids accessible to adults without pandering to either one and it's just like you know they just they just know how to thread that needle and they do it much like marvel studios so before we wrap up a final thought perhaps the best compliment i can pay to pixar movies in general is that sometimes i really don't want to watch them uh, when Toy Story 3 came out, I had heard it might involve the inevitability of Andy growing up, and I knew it would wreck me. I mean, just wreck me. So I put off watching it for a couple of years. I knew I would love it, and indeed I do, but I also knew that I couldn't just, like, waltz into that movie on any given day and expect to, like, withstand the emotional shattering that was surely going to follow, Right. And likewise, there are so many Pixar's movies that reliably reduce me to a puddle of tears. Uh, we mentioned a bunch of these already, like Up, Inside Out, and Coco in particular are like emotional kryptonite for me. Uh, like even though I adore them, I don't go back to them quite as often as I might otherwise just because I may not be up for it that day, you know. And as it is, I still have not seen Soul, uh, largely because when it came out, we were mourning a loss in the family. Uh, we felt that however touching and true that Pixar's treatment of a man's journey through the afterlife may be, we were in no shape to appreciate it. And again, like Toy Story 4, which I watched shortly before we recorded this episode, was really no different. I mean, once again, I knew the movie would probably tear me up inside, as Toy Story always does, uh, but I just didn't know how, and I didn't really care to find out, so I put it off. 
And as it was, the movie's theme of how life forces transformational changes upon us when we least expect them kind of reminded me of how much I miss my kids now that they're both at school and how an uncertain future never felt more frightening or more promising than it does now. You know, Pixar's trademark tenderness reminds us that these hard moments in life are universal. They don't build stories around them for cheap emotional points. They do it because they are the truths that define us. They bind us together and they give us a common understanding. Pixar knows better than anyone that happiness and sorrow are rarely far apart. And the things we hold most dear almost always come with a heavy price. They know why it truly matters when we come together, when we persevere, transform, and overcome. Because it isn't easy to do, do, to, you know, to do those things. And it's not easy because life isn't fair. But there is no power out there greater than that of a true heart. And of all of Pixar's many successes, their greatest one is how often they have reminded us of that. There's a reason why Pixar's mascot is a lamp because they understand the importance of being a light in the darkness. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.